Welcome to the We Are Next podcast, advice and insight from all over the advertising industry to help you navigate your career with confidence. I'm Natalie Kim. And I'm Cecilia Gorman, owner of Creative Talent Partners. And thanks for listening. Hi, everybody. It's Natalie, and welcome to episode 41. After a week or so offline, I'm back, just in time to see the graduation posts start filling my feeds. I know I don't know every single We Are Next listener, reader, follower personally, but I still feel so proud and inspired to see students and graduates post about where they're going to be starting their careers. And for those of you who haven't figured it out yet, please remember that everyone has their own timeline. Give yourself the mental space to really enjoy these last few weeks of college because there'll be plenty of time to figure out what's next. Speaking of someone who didn't know what they wanted to do when they graduated, our guest this week is Cecilia Gorman, owner of Creative Talent Partners. Cecilia's career has spanned print production, creative services, creative recruitment, and now talent development. She's one of those people whom everyone seems to know, and she has a voice made for presenting and thus podcasting, and she shared so much valuable advice in this episode. So let's get to it. Enjoy. Thanks so much for coming. We're here in the philosophy space in Plato's Cave, which is uh, when guests come from kind of out of town, I set them up here. I'm so glad we're doing this in person because we first connected. Do you remember how you first came across We Are Next? I think I saw a post you did. And since it was aimed towards junior talent, it caught my eye. And so I was like, I need to know what you're up to. Yeah. And you reached out and we, we had a call. And I just remember thinking, I was so impressed with like what you've built um, for yourself, like over your career and what you're doing now. So um, this, I think this is a long time coming. I'm glad we're doing this. Awesome. Let's start with how you got started in the industry, how you found advertising, and how you made your way in. Okay, awesome. I, well, I think that I had a problem when I graduated that a lot of juniors do, which is I had this degree in my hand, and I had absolutely no idea what I wanted to do. And so I spent the summer after graduation um, literally just going to the beach and waitressing. Like I, I didn't think I was qualified to do anything. Mm. My degree was in journalism, but I didn't want to be a writer. Um, I didn't feel like I had any like tangible skills. So after a few months um, with my mom getting frustrated that I hadn't done anything, I just started to look for a receptionist job and I figured I could answer the phones. Like I figured anybody could do that. Yeah. And so when I would look in the um, in the classified ads, for some reason I gravitated towards creative companies. I would look at design firms or architecture firms or printing companies or um, ad agencies, marketing companies. For some reason I, I just stuck with that industry. Mm-hmm. And I uh, had the good fortune of landing a job as a receptionist at a printing company. And that, single job literally changed my life. So it was um, a small shop. I worked for a husband and wife, started out answering the phones, and they literally took me under their wings. They they taught me how to do a lot of the back-end office stuff. I started doing accounts payable, accounts receivable. I started ordering paper and supplies for the press for them. Um, I started scheduling things for the press later on. And then at some point, the husband said, you know, we need some backup in the art department. We want to send you to, to some classes. So they taught me to classes how to learn Quark at the time, which is now InDesign, Illustrator. And so I would just do backup like type changes and, and the easy things that the art department had overload of. And, and I just learned so much about printing. 
And then um, one of our clients was an, a, an ad agency in Orange County. And the buyer there worked with us quite a bit. We did a lot of printing for them. And at some point he gave his notice. And um, my boss called me into his office and he said, Cecilia, he's like, you know you could do that job. Like, <laughs> yeah. you know printing. Mm-hmm. And so he encouraged me to go apply for this job as a print producer at this ad agency. Um, so I got the job. I, I didn't really even know what ad agencies were. I was just thought it was like big time. Like, <laughs> I'm going big time with this. Um, and I knew so much about printing. So I walked into that job really feeling like confident in what I knew, mm-hmm. um, albeit in kind of an intimidating atmosphere. Right. So um, that's that was the start. So in, in print production is... is um, I worked in print production for probably, I don't know, six or seven years, mm-hmm. worked at a couple different agencies. And so that was that was my story. That's how I got started. That's amazing. You, what your story reminded me of something another guest had said about, um, you know, junior talent coming in or people coming out of school. And um, it was for strategy specifically, which is notoriously hard to, to get into. And her advice was like, sign up to do kind of like the... She said like the worst jobs, but like those jobs, those little things that like people who are more senior just like don't have time to do, but are so necessary to like keep things running. And she was talking about pitches specifically, but I think, I think your story reminded me of that. Just like picking up these like little skills. And even though you didn't like know that, you know, advertising was where you would end up, that like these skills would be valuable to you. Yeah. I had no idea. I mean, I don't, I don't even know what I, I didn't even know what I wanted to be, but I, had I like known that there was just this amazing career that could come from just get your foot in the door, just yeah. take a job. And then it was really how eager I was to learn. I think that was the key thing. Like the owner saw like I was really interested in learning more about printing. I yeah. literally had a three ring binder <laughs> and anytime something pr- came off the press wrong, yeah, I would three hole punch it. <laughs> I would put it in the binder. I would, I would write this this is called offset. Mm. This is caused by the plates not being lined up. This is how the pressman fixed it. And so I started this catalog of like, what are all these things around me that I don't know anything about? And I literally had that binder for Amazing. like, I bequeathed it to another junior print producer um, later on in my career. Like this is, this is my Bible of how <laughs> I learn. But I think that eagerness to learn is probably the key. Yeah, yeah. So you went on after your time in print production and you've had titles that have included VP Director of Creative Services, um, Director of Creative Operations, and VP Director of Organizational Leadership. So I wanted to dig into what these roles entailed and um, talk about the more internally focused teams at agencies. Uh, Definitely. So when you say those titles back to me, they just sound like a mouthful of mumbo. (laughs) (laughs) So let me kind of explain to them. The first move that I made from print production was going into creative management. Mm -hmm. Um, And again, print production, creative management, these operational roles aren't the things that they teach you about at school. So that's kind of the thing I want to highlight. When I was doing creative recruiting, if I came across a writer or an art director that really wasn't that good Mm -hmm. and you kind of knew that they were going to have a hard time getting a job I would always start talking to them about project management or print production or producing because there are so many jobs that 
if you just have a keen sense of organization and, and a savvy and an initiative, you will be successful. You can learn the quote unquote trade. Right. And so my first move was print production into creative management. And that was basically keeping track of what the creatives were working on. Mm-hmm. Who had what on their plate? Who was overloaded? Who needed a freelancer? Um, did we need to hire a job? So that's when I got into creative recruiting. Mm-hmm. And, and so it was really just kind of keeping track of people. And a lot of, a lot of, um, people innately have that skill set. They just don't know that that could be a job. Right, right. So um, I moved into creative management um, at YNR. And YNR at the time down in Orange County grew into a pretty big agency. They started with Lincoln Mercury, then they got Jag mm-hmm. and Land Rover, they had Sony, Mattel. So it, it ended up being like a 420 person office at wow. its biggest. Um, so the role that I was doing in the creative department was so exciting. It was, it was literally like a an HR person embedded in the creative department because we did a lot of um, performance management. Obviously we did hiring and firing and mm-hmm. um, and so I, I got very interested in developing people in that role. So creative services, creative operations, all of those I was just running the teams that assist the creatives. Mm. So um, I moved from YNR at some point to Oakley and ran um, creative operations there. It was kind of the same thing. So project management, print production, the video studio, the asset managers, all of those teams rolled up under me. So we were kind of doing the business and the organization of the creative department while the art directors and the designers and the writers were doing the creative work. So those support roles, are great careers. And those are the things I wish people talked about more and, and told students about more. Mm-hmm. My last position at an ad agency was in organizational leadership, which just is a fancy way to say training and development. Mm-hmm. And I, because of over the years of being interested in coaching people, interested in mentoring people, I'd always done training programs at Oakley, at YNR at any other place that I'd been at. And so this was a formal training and development role. It was within the HR department um, and it was to assess where people were with their skills, their Mm -hmm. management skills, their leadership skills, work to create programs that supported them. So these behind the scenes jobs are really, um, they're, they're challenging, they're fun, they're creative in their own right, but I think they need to have a little more PR around them. Yeah. Well, I love what you're saying because someone who works in uh, these types of roles, these support roles, um, you yourself have to have a creative sense, even though you're not like making the ads or the, whatever the work the client is asking for, you have to understand enough about like what that job entails and like... Yeah. Um, you know, how people are using their time, being taxed, growing, learning, developing as creatives in order to do your job well. So it's not like, I think there is like this binary that people think like, well, if I'm in production or um, one of these like creative services roles, then I'm just like a paper pusher or I'm just like managing other people's schedules and there's no like creativity in it. But I feel like... Well, I would imagine there's probably two camps of people that actually have those jobs. So there are people that, that are pretty, you know, I don't know, linear and rote and they're good with process Mm -hmm. and that's their job to move the process along. Mm -hmm. But I think there's a whole nother camp that that really takes a creative filter to that and adds creative thinking to it. So a producer, yeah, they're managing the process, but my God, the, 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 the creative thinkers can make 
an idea or a spot 10,000 times better. Right. A print producer that's creative can say like, hey, I know designer, you put this here and this here, but you know what, if we change this, it's gonna print so much better. Mm-hmm. So that creative filter, like I can, I consider myself a creative person only in hindsight. Right, right. But I know I was coming out of college, I just couldn't put the words around it. Mm-hmm. So being in the creative department without being responsible for designing or writing something, I still felt like I was a creative person mm-hmm. and I and I got the opportunity to, to like execute on that in whatever role I had. Mm, I love it. I love that we're sh- you're shutting shedding light on these roles. I do like like you said I do think it's um amazing career paths for and options for people that that they might not be aware of. So let's talk about now. I'd love to know how you work with agencies today. So today my company, Creative Talent Partners, is talent development for creatively minded companies, which is, again, just a fancy way to say ad agencies or or ancillary companies where the employees are called to ideate or innovate on a regular basis. And I kind of grabbed that niche because I'm so comfortable in an ad agency environment. And it's just what I know. It's the examples that I use. So when I walk in as a trainer, I'm just more relevant than somebody else who's a trainer that maybe didn't have a career in that space. So I go into companies um, for one of two reasons. The first is they're they're triaging a problem. So maybe a team's not getting along or a manager doesn't have the right leadership acumen. Um, Maybe they're struggling. Maybe a group of managers is struggling and they haven't had the right foundational training. So sometimes it's problem-based. Other times I'll go in and an agency will have a training initiative for the year and they want to develop certain competencies. You know, this year we're going to focus on trust. This year we're going to focus on, um, on we're doing some bias training, you name it. They, they have like a curriculum that they want to hit and they need some outside help for that. So um, that's what I've done. I've been in business for two years. Um, super exciting. I mean, it's, it's scary and it's exciting all at once. But um, when I get the opportunity to go back into an agency and really help people, like, I I'm, I'm, couldn't be happier. Like, that's my thing. Like, okay, I don't know why I didn't do this earlier, but it's the perfect time for it right now. Yeah, that must be so gratifying to see. And I totally relate with what you're saying when I started We Are Next. I mean, it just was a very, like, obvious in terms of, yeah, I wouldn't try to do We Are Next for like a different industry, even though like it's called We Are Next, it doesn't refer to like yeah. agencies specifically, but because my career was in it, like I, I feel like I have at least some authority to like, yeah. to, like talk or like give advice or, and, and create this thing. So I totally hear you there. Um, and I just, like, just to reiterate and not to like butter your bread, but like when we first talked, the fact that you've only been doing this for a couple of years, um, when we talked, I guess, last year, I just felt like you had accomplished so much in that time. And, you know, having worked in the industry and, and built your network and then, you know, birthed this company. Yeah. It's so amazing. It's Thank so inspiring. you. I appreciate that. And, you know, what? I think that's that's a really good nugget of advice for somebody who's a junior, because every connection that I made um, has helped me today. Mm-hmm. I mean, every person that I've worked with, you just have to look at every relationship that that you have in business like. It's not just that relationship right there at that agency that month. It's like 20 years out. How is this person going to be in my world? And since YNR got to be so big, and Orange County is a pretty small community if you compare it to your LA's or Chicago's sure. or your New York's, that that 400 that that group of 400 people mm-hmm. 
there are hundreds of us that are still connected. I mean, they, that was a really tight knit group. And most of my business, year one, year two, has come from those connections, mm -hmm. either directly or they referred me to someone. Um, getting into creative recruiting was really helpful for my career because I got to know, obviously, so many creatives right. and so many people in the industry that were looking. So all the relationships that I was establishing for the last 20 years are now serving me in this new, new role mm -hmm. that I'm in. So first year, I, I didn't even go out and get a sale. I just got people who asked me to do some work. So I, I, it's, it's luck or it's good fortune or it's serendipity or it's, it's just the way everything worked out. But I, I truly think you have to be fruitful in how you're viewing the connections you make right when you start your career out. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah, I talk with students about it all the time too because it's so easy to, especially the people you graduate with or you're starting your career with, to kind of see them as competition in some sense because, you know, there's only a certain number of entry-level right. jobs and everyone's trying to get them. But at the same time, like, these are the people that you're going to, like, come up with through the industry and yeah. wherever they go next. I mean, it just opens up so many doors. Yeah, so yeah. I think that's really, really good advice. Speaking of junior talent, I wanted to know what you think agencies can be doing better. You go into these shops and maybe you're not, you know, addressing a junior talent problem specifically, but I'd love to know just like what you've seen um, in your time yeah. working with agencies. So from my experience, so I was in HR for just a short period of time, but also again, just in, in the roles that I had in creative operations and the decisions that I made with the budgets that I had um, to support and develop my teams, I just would caution agencies not to forget about that tier. Because in my experience, it's been, if you're gonna spend money on training and development, it's usually spent on more senior level people. Yeah. It's spent either on your executives or your VPs and directors. You know, maybe you would invest in some middle, uh, middle, middle level, level if mm -hmm. they're high potentials, but there's this whole tier down at the bottom that um, potentially isn't invested in to the degree that that, that era requires yeah. like we all know everything that's being said about millennials but really it's just are we shepherding them are mm -hmm. we paying attention to them are we valuing them and that's not to say it has to be in training yeah but how are you valuing them how, how are you challenging them and to just make sure you're paying attention whatever that attention looks like right. to that tier because they will leave and that turnover at that level is just help is just hurting your downline. It's mm -hmm. it's hurting who's mid level three years out because now that tier is gone or right. isn't as readily developed as you wanted them to be. Right. So the advice I have is just make sure you're you're you have some sort of a plan, a proactive plan to pay attention to what they're up to. Mm -hmm. Are they are they invested into the agency to the degree that keeps them there a little bit longer? Yeah. Um, of course they're gonna leave at some point, right. but we just want to extend that out as far as we can. Right. It's sort of a chicken and egg thing where it's like, you know, that that article came out about millennials like leaving because, you know, they're not feeling supported. I mean, I think it was about advertising specifically. They're not getting the support that they need, which is sort of like what you're seeing. And then but then you also hear like, oh, millennials are so fickle. They jump around and stuff like that. But it's like, well, <laughs> there's probably like yeah. that relationship. Connections yeah, somehow. exactly. Exactly. And, and like I said, sort of chicken and egg. And so um, if agencies can, you know, pay more attention and, and provide a certain level of support, um, 
and put things in place so that you know people do say stay and on the other hand for junior talent I always am encouraging people to you know really be considered about where you're starting your career it's so tempting to just like scattershot your resume because you know you just want to get your foot in yeah. the door anywhere but you know being at a place that that does really have a plan for you or, or, you know, you can tell when you start asking questions to them about, you know, growth potential or, or, you know, training or whatever it is, whatever markers you, you want. Um, and to like be really selective in that, you know, I think like junior talent feels like they don't have a choice. They just need to like get in somewhere, but the more considered that they can be, even if it's like 10% more than they would normally, the, I think the more likely it'll be that they can stay at, at their first job, not forever, but, you know, for you know, a handful of years instead of jumping around for the first couple yeah. of years. I think it's, you're right. It's just, it's thoughtful consideration. Like, if, if you're in your first job and you're like, I, I don't want to stay here anymore, it's really being thoughtful about why. Yeah. So maybe it's money. Oh my gosh, I'm just, I just keep struggling with money. Okay, so have you exhausted every avenue to make sure this place um, can't get you more money. Like, have mm-hmm. have you taken on extra duties? Have you had a discussion about your career planning and your progression with your boss? Have you have you specifically asked when might you be eligible for a raise? Like, have right. you thoroughly exhausted that if it's a money thing? If it's a challenge thing, okay. Have you thoroughly exhausted your ability to take on other things? Mm-hmm. Maybe you go to a, a different department and say, hey, can I help you with some things on the weekend? And right. Really do your due diligence before you say, okay, I absolutely can't work here anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, so just that little bit of thought, because I know that I have taken jobs, made very quick decisions to take another job. And then the, the first day I showed up, I was like, oh my God, I can't believe I did that. Yeah. Right. So it, it just probably required a little bit more thinking about why. Mm-hmm. And the what I tell juniors is your jobs, like your career is like a pie. So a picture a big circle that has these slices in it. So every job you take is going to be a slice, right? Some of them are going to be really big. Some of them are going to be thinner. But everything is adding up to the whole. Mm -hmm. So every move is going to be good for you. Because even if it's a bad move, it's going to teach you something. But you just want to make sure that you're being thoughtful about what you're putting in that pie tin. And that you're not just shoving a bunch of crap in because whatever, you're a little bit bored. Yeah. Um, so it's being, it's just taking a second to take a breath and be like, okay, what, what really is the issue here? Yeah. I love the pie analogy. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to start using that one. I, Cause I talk about it. Yeah. I also say that, you know, there's just like no, I don't, I believe that there are no wrong steps in your yeah. career. It's just a step, you know, towards something, you know? So like you said, every, every experience will teach you something mm-hmm. and get you closer to. Even if you, know. even if it's the people like, oh, these people are jerks or my boss is an ass. Like, mm-hmm then you just have to reframe it and say, how, what am I going to learn from this guy or from this woman? Like what, what pain are they putting me through that I can make work for me later on? Like Mm -hmm. maybe I'm going to learn patience today. Maybe I'm going to learn a little tact. Maybe I'm going to learn how to problem solve in a different way. And, and to just take that and take it for the lesson that it's worth in that job rather than, okay, I'm throwing on the towel. I'm out of here. Sure. Sure. So you often talk about helping people bridge the gap between their personal and professional happiness. So I want to talk a little bit about that. Can you explain this idea at a high level? Yeah, so I have a hard time putting a divide between my personal life and my work life mm-hmm. because let's say I'm totally unhappy at home. Let's like maybe my relationship's horrible or you know I'm I'm not working out and I'm down on myself, 
you know I bring that into work. Like it's just like you don't stop at the door and take off all your baggage and leave it there and go in. Like your your life is your whole life. Mm-hmm. And I think people try so hard to keep those things separate without realizing just how interconnected they are. And so if I'm going to do training on a particular topic, like for instance, a, a talk that I give a lot is called Everyone Communicates, Few Connect. Mm-hmm. So it's about... You know, when you meet someone like in an instant, you're like, oh, my God, I totally like you. And like you only talk to them for maybe a minute. And you're like, oh, my God, I just don't want to hang out with you. And yeah. and there's just something about certain people that makes you like them readily. Mm-hmm. How do we bottle that up and use that in business? If you're if you're an, a client facing, if you're in business development, if you're a manager, we want to be connectors. Mm-hmm. So in that course that I teach, it's. Everything you learn, and I tell people when they sit down, okay, you're going to use this at work. I guarantee you, you're going to walk out this door. You're going to put this to use in in your business life. Mm -hmm. But I guarantee you, you're also going to use this at home tonight. Mm -hmm. Because learning development, it's personal development. It's, It's all personal development. It just happens that sometimes you use it at work and it's also professional development. I just, I just don't think you can extract skills like uh, developing trust, being less biased, being a better manager, being a better communicator, like all of that, all of those skills apply to your whole mm-hmm. life. Mm-hmm. And my attempts to bridge personal and professional happiness is just to address some of those core skills as like life skills. Yeah. And that's what I think dumbfounds me when people don't make time for trainings or they sign up and they don't go because I'm like, <gasps> like, Oh my gosh, you you just missed the opportunity to like grow your personal life, to be a better person. Mm-hmm. Um and so I always feel like those are missed opportunities because it's it's going to serve you in most any area of your life. Yeah, I think it's even more relevant these days because we have so much talk about like places that allow you to bring your whole self to work, mm-hmm. you know, to to like be your true self. I mean, a lot of the diversity and inclusion um, conversations are are not just that you're in the door, but that you can just be yourself yep. when you're in the door and not mold to a specific, you know, uh, version of someone who works right. in advertising. You have to act like someone you're not. Yeah. My, I have a good friend of mine. She's a, a partner in, a, in another company we own called Empowership. So her name is Chelsea Zabo, and, and Chelsea ran a survey in the advertising industry, and she basically asked women only, mm-hmm. what does it take for you to thrive? And and through this survey and the responses that she got, she narrowed down the places where women were saying, this is why I don't thrive. Mm. And one of them was exactly what you're saying. I don't feel authentic. I don't feel like I can go into work and be myself. I have to act like a man. I have to act like someone I'm not and maybe I have to be a bitch mm-hmm. and and that's what's rewarded and those are the people that succeed and so this inauthenticity is a struggle for people when they come to work they're like I don't like how this is making me feel or you get home at the end of the day and you're exhausted it's because you've been kind of acting all day right, right. and you weren't just showing up as yourself right. so self-proclaimed within the industry inauthenticity is something we, we need to work on yeah yeah oh, I love it I love it you mentioned unconscious bias which yeah. is one of I think your more popular workshops. I'd love to hear uh, the ways that unconscious bias manifests within the walls of agencies and what junior talent can do to keep their own unconscious bias in check, but also to address unconscious bias that they see 
in their agencies. Yeah. So unconscious bias is kind of a big word. Like we don't talk around, we don't go around the agency saying like, hey, how's your unconscious bias today? Like right. it's it's probably even a topic I didn't even know that much about until I really started um, launching this training company and uh, a client asked me to research and, and prepare a training on it. Mm-hmm. So really it's a big word for do you stereotype people? Do you judge people? Um, do you n- not open yourself to hearing all the voices and opinions of people around you because you've already made a judgment. So it's just being judgmental, it's being serious. So those are words that we can understand. Right. Do I stereotype people? Now, most people will tell you they are not biased at all. Mm-hmm. They absolutely will tell you they're not biased. But if you dig deeper and there's all sorts of assessments and tests that they can take, everybody's got a bias to some degree. You can be biased against old people. You can be biased against short people. You yeah. can, it, It's not about the color of your skin. Mm-hmm. And I think when agencies really got into diversity initiatives, it was about the color of your skin. And then now they're called diversity and inclusion. So now it's including all the voices. Like If, if you're a junior person listening in, really what I'm, Uh, unconscious bias means to you and what you have to look out for is am I being open open minded Mm -hmm. Um, am I am I listening am I encouraging all the voices of the people around me so this can show up in meetings maybe there's somebody on your team that's an introvert and all the type A's are talking up during the creative presentation and that introvert doesn't doesn't have a voice, doesn't speak up. And it's not because they're not smart. It's not because they don't want to. It's because it's just not their personality trait. So we can be biased against quiet people because we're not giving them an opportunity to share their voice. So um, bias can show up in meetings. It can show up in hiring. The, The stats will show you. If you look at a resume and the name sounds, air quotes, sounds white, mm-hmm. they will get called back 50% more times than a name that sounds black, mm-hmm. right? So your Mary's and your Amy's versus your like LaQuisha mm-hmm. and LaWanda's, right? Th- those things, people will judge those without even looking at the qualifications of a person. It can show up in the opportunities that people get mm-hmm. um, to be promoted, to go to South by Southwest or Can or something like that. Like everything is a judgment, a decision made on a judgment. Right. So we just literally have to stop and ask, like, what am I? What am I doing that pro- propels these biases? Am I staying with my same clique at lunch every day? And those five people, the only people I talk to at work. Those are the five people I go to when I have a problem. Those are the only five people whose voices I hear at work. Or am I open to meeting new people? Right. When it's my turn to look at resumes or or to screen people or or to uh, I don't know look look at the background of someone else. Are you being open to what what you're seeing? Oh oh, they went to SCI. I went to I went to UCLA. Blah. And then all of a sudden you and it's and they call it unconscious because sometimes you you see those things and you're not aware that you've actually made a judgment right, on it. Right. So as a junior, I think it would be so important to just say how open minded am I? Mm -hmm. Am I proactively giving people the space to share their voice? Like, hey, Natalie, we haven't heard from you in this meeting. What are your thoughts on this? Or, hey, I'm going to regroup with you tomorrow. Think about this overnight. I'm going to come back to you. Mm -hmm. Um, Asking for voices to speak up. And, And when you do that, it becomes the habit of the agency that we include everyone. Mm -hmm. And it's less about, um, 
LBGTQ. It's less about blacks and whites. It's less about, mm-hmm. like, it becomes less about that. It's more about all voices. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. What you're saying about the unconscious part, I mean, I think it's partially why this has persisted for so long, and, and not obviously just in this industry, but just like everyone, like you said, everyone has their biases. We're just not aware that we're even making these decisions off these biases. We yeah, just it's just think, a habit. We just think, yes, yeah, but it, and it's a... It's a shortcut, which is the other thing. It's like to include all these voices, or to stop a meeting and say, "Hey, like Natalie, like you haven't not you haven't said anything, but which you, you know, did you yeah. have anything to contribute?" Um, that takes extra time. You have to like stop things and like you know to to really be open oh, to yeah. more people's opinions about something requires like extra time. Yep. You know, and and that's probably why it's perpetuated. Yes. Because if you just think about hiring, now maybe juniors aren't involved to the degree of hiring, but even just taking the time to, for instance, let's say you had three people interview someone and you say, hey, tell me what you thought about them. The three of them send you a quick email. Yeah, the person's great. Yeah, they were fine. Mm -hmm. And that's all you get back versus getting those three people in a room together and having a discussion Mm -hmm. on why this person is a good fit or not a good fit. Mm -hmm. Um, That takes time. But only then can you start to get to uncover what biases that, oh, I don't know, the person was a sloppy dresser. I, that's why I didn't like them. Right. Like, oh, okay, so we don't even know if they're, the, they could be the best person in the entire world. Right, <laughs> right? and maybe right. we just wrote them off for, for a, um, a silly reason. Mm-hmm. So it, it is a time factor. And unconscious bias is ingrained in human beings because of that time. Like right. if, a, if a snake like slides into this room right now you and i are going to scream right. and jump on this table right. it's a time factor we're not going to take the time to go oh what kind of snake is, is it brown <laughs> yeah. does it have spots is its tail shake no we're on the table right like so it is a reactionary thing that just nature gave to us to um to basically help save our lives in right. times of emergency right. and so that is we, um one of the antidotes to unconscious bias is just got to slow down yeah you gotta slow to slow everything down. Yeah, yeah, and realize that it, it does take like work, you know, yep. it, to 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 overcome. It's not something you can just be like, okay, I'm not, you know, like biased anymore. Yeah, like the, it comes with with action that requires more time, which um, I think is a really good thing for people to keep in mind, especially when they're just starting their careers. Oh, for look sure. Look out for these. There's things. a simple exercise that we do in the training that I think would be good for people to just be aware of. So we put up on on the screen four pictures. Mm-hmm. And they're just four pictures of four different people. And we have the attendees write down just some adjectives of what you like think about those four people. Mm-hmm. One of them is a is a super eager, smiling Asian. It looks like he looks like he's just out of college. One is an older woman. She's a little bit overweight. Um, she's also smiling. One is a, a gentleman, maybe Persian, maybe Egyptian. You don't really know, but he's got his arms crossed. Mm-hmm. And he's not frowning, but he's definitely not smiling. <laughs> yeah. And then one is maybe an African-American young girl, right? So people write down some adjectives. Just that exercise alone, you're biased to or for or against these people because we'll out, yeah. you just make up stories about them. Right. Oh, that lady, she looks like my kindergarten teacher. So she's friendly. Yeah. She's going to be welcoming. This guy, he's stern. He's whatever. So we have already created a story about people just by looking at them. Right, right. So when you meet someone new, when you walk into an agency meeting and there's 10 new faces in there, you've already got a list of adjectives in your head. Right. 
And then that's where the unconscious thing is that maybe you're making decisions about them based on this story that you made up about them. Right. We just got to be on the watch for that. You just have to guard against that at all times. Yeah. I love that exercise. So let's wrap up with the best piece of advice that you've ever been given. Oh, man. I know it's hard to pick just one. <laughs> it doesn't have to be about advertising. It could be about life in general. Well, here's the thing. I'm going to call it advice to other people, but here's the thing that somebody did with me okay. that changed how I approach um, advertising and, and my career. So my very first job, again, the owner of the company, what he did is he, at the end of the day, like four or five o'clock, he'd call me into his office and he would just start talking to me about printing. And he would say, hey, do you know why we use um, oil based inks mm -hmm. on on the printing press let me tell you and then he would start to go back about the history of how printing presses were invented or um he, so he was constantly telling me stories which really equated to he was constantly investing his time in me and my growth mm -hmm. constantly and so the advice that i would give to to anyone really but especially juniors like the the investment of time that you give into other people because you don't you're only gonna be a junior for a short amount of time yep. i mean three years from now you're not a junior anymore right, right. and your investment in the next generation of people by taking a time out and saying hey do you know why we prepared the deck that way mm -hmm. or do you know why um our boss answered the client that way and to start to just it, invest time and nurture the next generation i think is so critical but um, it's almost like a responsibility you have to make sure the people under you are, are, are learning and growing and coming mm -hmm. up through the ranks. So for junior people, it's just something to put on your radar. Like who, who have I invested in today? Yeah. And what did that look like? Yeah, I think so many people at the junior level feel like, oh, well, I'm not senior enough to really provide mentorship or what can people learn from me because I'm still learning. I still feel like I'm totally out of my depth, which you can feel, but you don't realize that, you know, everything that you've experienced, even the fact that you like landed a job and yeah. you're in an agency that like just telling your story and sharing it with someone who might, who's a still a student, um, you know, at, at your school that you went to, then I feel like it's, it's so relevant to them. And I tell, I tell people all the time, like the content we create from We Are Next the podcast guests and the guest writers who are like in their first one to three years and would be considered junior talent when they contribute content like people love oh, it like yeah. our readers like love it um and and it's because it, it is so relevant to oh my gosh i'm interviewing assistants right now can i just tell you i'm like i gotta get one of these in the door like <laughs> so much smarter than me in so many different yeah. areas and so um mentor up yeah. i mean that sounds tough and maybe you don't know how to do it, but every relationship that you have, you have something to teach the other person. You absolutely do. And it's just being reminded of that. Like I have something to give no matter who the person is across from me. Yeah. Oh, such a great place to end. So, so thank you so much for taking the time. I'm, I knew this was going to be a good conversation and it's thank you, Natalie. exceeded expectations. Where can people keep up with you? So my company is creativetalentpartners.com. Um, the best thing to do is jump on that website and get on my newsletter. I, I write something every two weeks. And I, what I try to do is just take like a life lesson or something that I'm struggling with or something I've, an aha that I found and translate it to how does this serve you at work? How can you take this lesson 
and put it to use in the workplace. So it's a good it's a good primer. I think for junior talent, um, if you want to troll around Google and find my old blog called Confessions of a Creative Recruiter, it's it's still out there. Um, but it's a good resource for junior talent. So a lot of advice that I gave when I was recruiting um, entry-level talent. So awesome. Well, everyone can... loves hearing from recruiters. So. There you go. <laughs> All right. Thank you so much. Thank you. You know the advice is good when my only response the whole episode is, I love that. As I was editing it, I was like, what did I contribute to that conversation? <laughs> Big thank you to Cecilia for her stories and wisdom. I'm going to be at San Jose State University later this week for the very last guest lecture of the school year. Thank you so much to every school that has invited me out this year. It's such a privilege to be able to meet students in person and share some of the learnings that are coming out of We Are Next. I hope you have an amazing rest of your week. Congratulations to the class of 2018. We Are Next is with you through this exciting and amazing transition time. I'm Natalie, and until next time... You got this.